Welcome back to Coming Up for Air with hosts Dominique Simone-Levine, Laurie McDougall, and Annie Highwater. This podcast is produced with love by the Allies in Recovery team in solidarity with our listeners. Come in and sit with us for conversations on the most pertinent topics for families navigating a loved one's addiction. We created this podcast along with the learning modules and discussion blog in support of you. We salute the work you are doing and your dedication to helping your loved one find a way through. And now, coming up for air. Hi, everyone. This is Laurie McDougall back on Coming Up for Air. I'm here today with Dominique Simon Levine. Hi, Dominique. How are you? I'm well, Laurie. It's a nice day today. And Kayla Solomon. Hi, Kayla. How are you Hi, doing Laurie. today? Good, good, good. <laughs> Um, today's topic, what we're going to talk about is identity. Um, and I know it, 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 it may, uh, identity, everybody might say, uh, what's that got to do with substance use disorder? Um, but actually I think it has a lot to do with substance use disorder and how we, um, how we respond to our loved ones and a lot to do with why we do the things that we do. So I'm gonna hand it over to Kayla and have Kayla get us started. Uh, if you think about identity as how you define yourself, so it's like, what's your, how do you perceive yourself? What kind of person are you? What's your role in life? How do you connect with other people? Where, where do you fit in the world? Um, and if you think about identity as, uh, containing expectations, it's containing a sense of self, it's uh, containing a roles, basically who, who am I and what's my responsibility and role in this situation. It really encompasses a lot, but it also explains the reactions that we have to things. So if you think about um, as being a parent or a partner of somebody and they're behaving in a particular way, it's the first thing you have to look at is what, what, how does that affect you? How does it affect how you um, relate to that person? And also, how does it affect how other people perceive you? But more important, how you think other people perceive you and that person. So all of those things complicate how we feel, how we act, and also how we walk around in the world um, looking at things and also how we react to other people, including strangers and our extended family, which is a huge issue when there's substance use disorder in the family. And often substance use comes with multiple generations. So it makes everything extremely messy. And I really feel like, again, the theme is how do we slow down and take things apart and look at ourself from that, um, from that perspective? I totally agree. I I think identity and, and roles um, play an absolute huge part in, um, in why we respond the way we do. And I just think about, we talk about this um, in our groups that as a mom, right? Um, society teaches me or taught me that there are specific things that I am supposed to do as the parent of my children. They are supposed to receive consequences when they do something, and I'm gonna put it in quotes, bad, 
um, because this is what society tells me, right? And there is a lot of pressure to, um, as a parent, to do things the way society is telling you to do that. Um, and then when you're confronted with something very difficult like substance use disorder, and those methods don't work well, you're totally lost. You're, you're, and you tend to dig in and do it more and get harsher and harder, right? Because it's supposed to work because I've been told this. And, and actually, I really believe it becomes so embedded in you as a parent that you can't, it, it, it's so hard to see out of that and not continue the role. And also, if you don't continue doing what society tells you to do and you change it up, um, there is a lot of shame, right? And a lot of blame, which is, you know, the shame and stuff we've talked about in the past, but there's a lot of shame and a lot of blame because, well, it's because you're enabling or you're doing this or you're doing that. And it's because of what you're doing as a parent that your um, child, adult child, young adult, youth, who, whomever it is, as far as a child goes, um, is behaving that way because of you. But also, if you look at this, if you the, the person who's using the substances is happy to go along with this narrative, that's where they start blaming you for things. And if it, if you didn't do this to me when I was a kid or the partners, like if you didn't make me mad or if, if I was if I was able to come home and relax and not be stressed out by you. Right. So it keeps going back into other people's expectations. And that's why the guilt and shame is so big when you're a loved one, because you're taking more responsibility than is actually appropriate in the situation, because if you look at this scenario, the whole world is blaming you for and for your part in this whole situation, including the person using substances. And then if you have a little a little opening for that in yourself where, oh, I should have done this and this is yeah. happening because of me, then you're a receptor site for pain. And what I'm talking about with this is really closing that site and closing that that opening so that you get to self-soothe and really keep giving yourself the message that this is not your responsibility. This is not your fault. You're not to blame for this. This person is making their own choices. Right, right. I, I totally agree. And it's it's interesting that we're talking about this today. We we actually have been talking about in, in our groups about self-soothing and the feeling like we have to soothe our loved ones and their pain and what they're going through and how actually maybe self-soothing is our responsibility and self-soothing for our loved ones is their responsibility. And the more we can separate the two, um, the better. The better for everybody in the situation because um, our loved ones learning to soothe themselves, we never, we never let that happen. And, uh, and I can tell you, in, as a mom, 
there were times that I believed my son couldn't do it, right? Because I historically, he had, um, he also had mental illness. Um, and so I started to, you know, we struggled with that for years and years. And so I started to believe, is he even capable of doing that? Um, and so it was difficult. It was difficult to pull apart from that and let him take that over. Um, but once I did, and we've kind of talked about the same thing in the past, but once I did, and I started to see that he could, that he could self-soothe, that um, it was very freeing. But I will also, I will also say this, um, you're right about us, you know, and this is true of boyfriends and girlfriends, of uh, spouses, of parents. And I have a funny feeling it's also true with, um, with uh, moms and dads. So meaning their children take on the response, could take on that responsibility as well for a mother or a father that is struggling with substance use disorder can also kind of take on like an adult role and start, um, feeling like they have to take on that responsibility of the person with substance use disorder. In all of that, I think it's incredibly difficult for us to break away from those roles. To but it's essential because there's no change or growth without us taking away our part in that situation. Because that's what I love about craft is the focus is on ourselves. You know, it's not you're looking at that person and you're saying, if I do this, you're going to do this. If, um, you know, that that once you do this, I'm going to be able to do this. It's all about how do I look at my part? And I call that the power position, because I think that if you look at this dynamic and how much what a huge sense of helplessness we feel facing other people and their issues and their behavior and their choices which make absolutely no sense to us that it's this overwhelming feeling of helplessness feeling out of control not being able to have an impact in the situation and so so i think what's essential here is that we really take ourselves out of that kind of um that enmeshed dynamic where we're trying to protect the other person and we're trying to prevent horrible things from happening and we're trying to give them the tools that they need to function in the world and make, you know, just take care of business for them when they can't because something horrible is going to happen. And we do this and what winds up happening is that we wind up taking away their power and also ironically taking away our own power. Because if we're in somebody mm -hmm. else's business, that means, and this, uh, this happened for a really long time in the group on Wednesday nights, I would say, how is everybody doing? And everybody would talk about what was happening with their loved one, everyone. I couldn't tell you what was going on in their lives other than how well their loved one was doing. Mm -hmm. If that's how you respond to how are you, we have a problem here. Okay, yeah. because that means you can't even answer a basic question about yourself. It's you're completely enmeshed with how the other person is doing. That's an identity issue, because that means that your identity is so tied into that other person's well-being that you don't even have a self, because right. if they're not well, you're not well. 
Right. We, we did the same, we were doing the same thing. I stopped asking that particular question because everything was tight. I, very few people responded with how they were doing. Yeah. Um, but I also think it's something that um, I'm going to try and go back to it and I'm going to address it in the beginning. And I'm going to, I'm going to say something like to the effect of, you know what, I, I, I want to hear how you're doing and I don't want to hear anything about your loved one in this, in this response. I want to just hear about you and, and let's try and answer that question that way, just to give, just to give little tiny bits of, Ooh, let me sit back and stop and think, yeah, how am I doing? How am I doing? And it's okay to not be doing very good right now. Right. It's okay. Yeah, it's not about how you're doing. It's that you even have a sense of how you're doing. Right. You could be like, exactly. I'm totally depressed or I'm exhausted right. or right. I feel helpless. Great. Because right. then but you inspire. could do something about it. Right. But inspire the person to think about themselves. Yes. Right. In, in, right. It's, it's, a, it's a chance to ask the individual to think about themselves. And the, the good thing about it is, and um, is that you're only asking for a moment. You're not asking, you don't have to separate your thoughts from your loved one for 24 hours, <laughs> you know, just separate your thoughts right now. Take a little baby step and separate your thoughts from your loved one to you right now. And then find ways of doing that. You know, like you might be able to discuss, find ways of doing that throughout the day, even if it's just for 30 seconds and how. Well, that's why I, I love the words fascinated and curious and people who know me mock, mock me for this. Cause it's my two, those are my two favorite words. And I really believe that if you can't answer um, the question, how are you doing? You want to be fascinated about why. OK, yes. because I think that what happens is when we can't do something, we're like mad and we, we judge ourselves and we feel bad about ourselves. I don't believe in that at all. To me, it's like if I if I ask you, how are you? And you say, my my son is using this week. I'm like, oh, hold up. How are you doing? What's happening in your life separately for them? Be fascinated and curious about why you can't answer that question. It's like, well, how did you get to this place? How did you get to the place where you're not even on your question list? That you're, the question you always have is, how is this other person doing? And what am I going to do for this other person? Because then you're off your own list. And I will tell you, if you have a to-do list and you're not on it, then you have a problem. Yes. Totally agree. Totally agree. And, and I often okay, say Okay, that, okay. But there's a yes. piece of... Can I just can I just yeah. pop in here because there's a piece of this that is this all consuming fear that they're going to die. Yes. And so you you have to put that in the context of of how hard this is to do again because of the the, the level of 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 danger and every time sometimes people go out. So it's you know, I, I have to keep saying alcohol kills more people yes. than these hard drugs, but it's it, it's excruciating to do this work in that context and in a context of stigma where, you know, some of this is just not very pretty. 
right. to, to show others. And, and right. So yes. I'm just going to keep bringing it out a little and, and you go guys go back in because that was fascinating. <laughs> right. No, I, I totally agree with you, Dominique. And I was actually going to bring, I, I was going to say something to that effect that you're right. We can be fascinated and we can point this out, but which is another reason why I really love craft baby stepping myself over was a really, really important piece of my journey to healing that so many people were pushing me to get there as quick as they wanted me to get there. And I'm telling you, I couldn't, I couldn't do it. Um, it was so traumatizing. And so, and almost, I know you're going to, you're going to laugh, Kayla, but I was so down that um, I could have acknowledged all of what you said, but I was so down. I didn't care. Mm -hmm. Right. I didn't care. And what you were at and to me, to me, it's very similar to what we're asking our loved ones with substance use disorder to do, to go into recovery. To me, it's like, here's this jagged mountain and I want you to climb it and you've only, you've got a time limit on it. You've got a, right. And you've got no climbing equipment, right. You, you just got to get up there. And, um, so I have found that my journey with my loved one, my journey paralleled his journey as he got better, I got better. But I also believe it was because I initiated my own uh, journey through craft. It, it really wasn't until I found craft. There were a lot of things that were going on. Um, Society was telling me I should do this. I should do this. I have to do this. I have to do that. I, you're an enabler. You're codependent. You're the and I, and in my head I was like, okay, this is way too much. Way way too much. Stop doing this to me. Stop stigmatizing me. Stop telling me that I have to do all of these things. You have no idea what I am going through. So it, I literally had to shut the world out. And I'm going to tell you right now that included the treatment industry, because the treatment industry applied a tremendous amount of pressure um, and wanted very much to disconnect me from my son. And that was not going to happen. It wasn't, I didn't care what they said. That was not going to happen. I wasn't going to be disconnected. But Lori, what, you, what you're saying, what <clears throat> you're saying is that it starts with shift a shift in your identity, yes. okay? Because that's the identity. It's if you are the codependent or the problem, then that becomes your identity. And if you start to say, I am somebody that is going to be changing, I choose to change this dynamic. All change is gradual. I do not believe in tsunami change. Right. I like the, the the example that I look at is couch to 5K. I don't know if people know about that, but the literal assumption is you've been laying on the couch for the last year, and this is pre-pandemic, so now people have more reason. And you don't start by doing a 5K. You start by getting right. off the couch and walking. Right. And then they give you like 10 seconds of running, followed by a minute and a half of walking and then 10 seconds of running. And what happens is you build up. So if all of this is all change is about turning yourself in the right direction. Right. And then what happens is you make choices and then you fall backwards and you make choices right. and then you fall backwards. Which but is the, recovery. If the identity is changed. 
Yes. And if you, the identity has changed, then you're walking in the right direction right. as opposed to walking in the opposite direction of your healing. And I also think that actually, um, I don't, I don't necessarily believe that that was my identity. I believe that what I was kind of doing was, uh, pushing back. I think I tend to be that kind of person. I was pushing back on society and all of this stuff that was out there that, no, this is not my idea. This is not who I am. And I need to get out there and find who I am. What I'm doing right now isn't working. I can see that. Right. And so I need to go and find what is going to work, which is, which is exact. And it's exactly what happened. And, uh, you know, I did stumble across the allies website, um, a cousin, of mine who had been through a similar situation had said to me, Hey, have you heard of craft? I think you should look it up because it's how you think. And, um, and that's how I found allies. I started Googling craft and, um, I found the allies website and then, and I started doing the video modules and was like, Oh, 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 I can do that. This is something I can do. And, um, and but back to identity, I think it was, which is which is very similar. If you think back, I shared with you my experience with going to see counselors when I was young. And I had, you know, I had family telling me that, you know, I I was a liar, I had problems, I had this, I had that. And there was just something inside of me that said, no, this is not who I am. And I'm gonna, you know figure out who I am. Um, and I think that that pushback may be what, um, <clears throat> what has helped propel me onto my journey of healing, if that makes sense. And change and kind of coming up with, no, this is my identity. This is, this is who I am. If that make if that makes sense. Dominique, you look like you're going to say something. Yeah, I I think you were you were um early on a very resilient kid to have as well defined a sense of of yourself and you probably I mean I'm just guessing you you had to do it a lot so it got it got defined early for you um but it's it 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 often feels as though we're headed. Um, I've totally lost my thoughts. So, what were you saying, Lori? And we'll cut back. I, I, I think. Are you saying something that oftentimes I don't think that actually some people might have said I was stubborn, right? In my youth, or Got and it. they might right. They might say that I'm stubborn, and I'm the, and and that may be true, and that may be what leads to resilience, right? But I also think that there are a lot of people that, you know, we all have our qualities about us. And um, if I hadn't had a little bit of luck, didn't have a cousin that called me and said, look at craft, right? What would have happened? I Maybe I would still be stumbling out there. Um, <clears throat> but also, I think that there are a lot of people that um, that respond differently than I do in in those situations, right? Is that what you're going to say, Dominic? I was. I've always been fascinated by this missing ingredient that no one talks about um, about in in recovery, which is 
courage. You need just a little bit of courage to walk into a challenge, to walk into a hospital back room for an AA meeting to, you know, you just need to be able to get yourself off that couch and take it towards that right direction. And I find, I find that I can pretty much tell who's going to struggle more by their, 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 their fear of, of meeting even the smallest challenge. You know, do you know what I mean? It's just this, it, you just need a little bit of courage to have a little success, to have a little more courage. You know, it, 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 it needs to start somewhere. So it needs to start easily and, and successfully. I don't know. I was blessed with that. And, and, I, and I see that my trajectory is, is different than a lot of people, perhaps because I've always had that. I've had like... I, I, I grew up feeling really stupid. My father just reinforced it and reinforced it. And so I had to have a PhD, you know, and, and I was like, I had a social disorder. So a PhD, when you have social anxiety, is like unbelievable, unbelievable. Why? And, but, you know, I, I did that and I've looked at it and, and said, how did I ever get there? But th- that is, that is a, in, 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 a, in a microcosm, you need something, something that's going to give you a little courage. The Jews would call it chutzpah, okay, which chutzpah. is like this kind of chutzpah, which is like, it's like having nerve, like who do you think you are? But it's it's based on, it's it's a little bit of rebelliousness, which is what you're both talking about, which is this is not who I am. I'm going to define myself. So I see it more as rebelliousness, but rebelliousness with a positive focus. So the I'll show you is a great tool if you put it in a positive way. And part of the problem with people with substance use disorder is they have that rebelliousness, but they're harming themselves. So that's it's it's the same skill. And that's why when I was working in the methadone program, like you guys could be running the world here. Okay. You just have to change your focus. You could do anything. And so the same for loved ones. Loved ones have more resources. Like if you want to, if you want to send somebody to get help, I don't know the answer. I I'm like group, what's the story. And so I think it's, it's the, it's this courage. I think it's also humility because you have to be willing to admit that you don't know the answer because if you go into a program and you think, you know, everything, and trust me, I have um, so many people walk into my office and they're like, you can't tell me anything. I know everything. And I'm like, okay, great. Which is fine. But apparently there's a gap between what you know and what you do. So I'm here for the to help you fill in that gap because knowing doesn't do anything if you don't know what to do with it. So there's that piece of it. And then there's this other piece, which is just like have having had enough of like falling into the hole enough of this. It's like, OK, I'm tired of this. So there's this package, I think, that makes the magic moment yes. of I need this to change. And I think that's true for this person with the substance use disorder. And I think it's true for the loved one, because this is the definition of insanity. If you keep doing the same thing and have the same over and over and have the same results, there comes a point when you could either keep doing that or you have to do something different. And it's at that moment that those characteristics come in. It's like, 
Do you have the courage to move into the unknown? Do you have, do you yes, have the courage yeah. to like go into this space where you have no idea what to expect, no idea who you are, and you are in the process of changing your identity, which by the way, scariest thing on the planet is right. to change your identity. <clears throat> you're going from this, this is who I am. And then all of a sudden you don't have a clue about what you're moving into. People don't like being in the unknown. Right. It's, and, it's, it's and, why people don't do things. Right. And once you're there and you are in the unknown, <clears throat> um, I think that is actually the scariest time. And when people start to become less confident and start to question, what am I doing? What am I doing? And more likely to fall back into old patterns, speak out of comfort, right? Which because is why I, they shouldn't be doing it alone. Because right. if you're alone, then you're in that that head thing, which is, oh my God, this is bad. Right. I made a mistake. I, right. I feel bad today. Right. So, but and if you have support, people will say, oh, that's what's supposed to happen. You're exactly where you're supposed to be. And, right. that's, and that's what changes it. And you forget your goals. <clears throat> I hear it all the time. They, someone will try something new. It's not going as planned or right there. And I always, and I, they'll come in and they'll go, it, it didn't work. It didn't work. It didn't work. And I'm like, okay, well, what didn't it do? Let's talk about what it, what was it intended to do and what didn't it do? Right. And then we find out, oh, it was just to learn how to set a boundary down. Then it did work. <laughs> Right. It it didn't it might not have gotten your loved one to behave in a particular way, but it was that wasn't the goal. The goal was to just set a boundary down. Right. So maybe you did accomplish it. Oh, yeah, maybe I did. Right. But that's the identity piece is that <clears throat> you're looking at what can you do differently? Not is it going to result in Agreed. the person doing this thing? Because that Agreed. if you set yourself up for success by only measuring the other person and their behavior, you're in right. trouble. Right. Which is why we do a lot of definitions. Like we define before we even go into boundaries, we define boundaries. What is a, what is a boundary? And people often mix up boundaries and rules, you know, rules have consequences and man-made stuff and right. And boundaries determine your behavior, not your loved ones. Right. And it, all, all of these things, but I, I thought of two, two points and now I don't know if I'm going to be able to come up with them, but I thought of two, two points. Um, Dominique's raising her hand. So I'm going to let her speak. Thank you. And then you can think of your two points and then we okay, have to close, okay. but the, yep. um, I remember uh, speaking at a learn to cope meeting and the, and the parents of a young um, adult woman who um they had just recognized IV drug use and opiate use and, and they were, you know, they were on, they were like very strategic. They had figured it all out for her and she needed to move from here to there to there. And they come to this learn to cope meeting and here I am talking about boundaries and little tiny steps and, 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 and this minutia that, you know, the father raised his hand like, probably he was an attorney, sorry. Um, and, and, and he said, you know, frankly, that's all very nice and well, but um, we're in a hurry here. It's opiates. Yeah. And I said, it's opiates for everybody here. Have a seat, rest, you know, rest your feet a bit because this is the quickest way through. Right. It right. sounds tedious and long and painful and 
reflective and, and all the rest of it. But trust me, just by trying any any of the things we're suggesting here. So it is I, for anybody who's going, yeah, yeah, yeah. But it's like, go ahead, try it your way. See how well your daughter goes from A to B to methadone to long-term right. sobriety. And, you know, I, I agree with you. She may need all those things, but you're not going to get her there because you've, you've, you've made the outline, you know, and, 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 and so. And the, and actually what you're doing isn't working. So if you keep doing it, it's, it's going to prolong it. Right. So, yeah. So I, I, will tear uh, yeah. you both apart. It'll yeah. tear you both apart. Yes, exactly. So I do want to, I do want to end it on just something for all of us to think about. And maybe it's something we address in a, in a later podcast, but I have a quick question. Why is it that when our loved ones thrust us into chaos and crisis, and they're trying to get something out of us, like maybe money or, um, or, uh, uh, they want to say say that again. A place to stay. Yeah, a place to stay, whatever it is. In our minds, we often come up with reasons why we have to do it for them. And the reasons often are things like, well, he's got really bad social anxiety, or he's got really bad depression, or, you know, he, she's got anxiety. And I don't think, I don't, I don't know if she can handle it. But on the same token, we don't understand why they can't walk into an IOP or call a counselor and get into treatment or say that they have a problem, right? We don't expect, we expect it there and we want them to overcome social anxiety and anxiety and depression and get up off the couch and go to meetings and go to an IOP, which is probably really difficult to do if you're experiencing social anxiety and anxiety. But we don't expect them to do it in these other areas of their life. Just, just a question, just kind of throwing it out there. Um, and just who knows, maybe that's another podcast that we can come and talk about. So we're we're at the end of the recording, and uh, this was another great conversation. Thank you for the wonderful uh, discussion, Kayla and Dominique. And um, uh, we will be together again next week. Have a good week. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye, ladies. Thanks for listening. We hope this episode of Coming Up for Air spoke to you. If you're listening in today on a podcast platform that isn't the Allies member site, please take a moment to give us a five-star rating. This helps others find the show more easily. If you have a suggestion for a new topic or guest for the show, please reach out through the Contact Us form on alliesandrecovery.net. Special thanks to our hosts, our guests, our production team, and Michael Mauboussin for the original music composition.